From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 12 of What's Wrong with Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman. I'm joined by my co-host Eric Kalis. Eric, I, I feel like it's been a couple shows, right? I'm sorry, I'm in much demand. I was on some uh, competing shows over the last couple of weeks. Where have you been? <laughs> What's up? You left a show in the lurch. No, you know, I do a lot of speaking and a lot of uh, it was Wednesday afternoon when you and I are usually hanging out. So thanks for a great team for filling in. Uh, I watched all the episodes. They were excellent. Yes, uh, Kristen uh, filled in nicely and Julie filled in nicely. So it worked out great. Um, everybody, if you're tuning in now, you can uh, catch the show on YouTube you, at, at the Square Two Marketing Channel. You can catch the show on our website at the What's Wrong with Revenue page, uh, link at the bottom of our website. You can catch us on all your favorite podcast platforms. And if you do watch the show, do us a favor, subscribe, like it, share it. Give us a review on any of your favorite podcast platforms. That helps us uh, feel like we're doing something good here and the show is adding value. Eric, you probably don't know this because I didn't share it with you, but this is our Thanksgiving episode. We're going to do a special show today in addition to our regular content. I know that you have a uh, Thanksgiving tradition. You like to go out and get the bird, right? Did you do that already today? I did not because Bonnie, first time ever, she had to get the bird because I got a flat tire. Oh, no. Bonnie had to pick up the bird. She picked up the bird and I'm still at the office in Conchokin because my car just got finished. Oh, no. You get a lot of flat tires, don't you? Uh, my daughter borrowed the car. It was her flat tire. <laughs> OK, got it. All right, cool. So we won't uh, string you but up I am, you to get the bird. I am grateful, even though I don't have the bird. I'm grateful for our friendship, this show, the team at Square Two and everybody who's listening and supporting us. That's nice. Thank you. Uh, I thought you were going to say uh, supply chain issues with the bird. That's what I was expecting <laughs> you to say. No, bird no. shortage. No, it is an unusual time. But uh, shout out to Canuli Brothers uh, in the, in the uh, Italian market in South Philly. They've been our provider for 10 years. <laughs> nice. We'll send them a bill for their sponsorship. Um, awesome. So today we're going to talk about a, a favorite topic of ours called random acts of marketing. So as we start to identify things that could potentially be wrong with revenue, this is one that we see frequently. It obviously made the list, you know, it's number 12. So it's at, it's pretty high up on the list. And, you know, honestly, there's so much to do from a marketing perspective that sometimes what happens is people are, you know, distracted and uh, unable to really focus uh, their overall marketing efforts and their plans in general. And they end up trying a bunch of different things in the hope that something sticks, not really sure what to work on, when to work on it. We did talk about how to prioritize last week with Kristen. Um, but this is really something that we see quite frequently 
Uh, and a lot of times the people we're talking to don't even really, they, they kind of can feel it. And I know they've mentioned it to you. Well, it feels like we're not quite sure what we're doing. And you then introduce them to the idea of random acts of marketing. They're like, yes, that's exactly what's going on here. So they don't even always know that it's an issue, but they know that it's just not quite right with the way that they're executing. So we're going to talk about kind of what random acts of marketing is and how to fix it. Um, today and then you did a little bit of it already but we'll have a little bit of a what are you thankful for segment at the end and then we'll wrap up and let every people everybody get their uh their long weekend started so that's my that's my plan for the show today uh, i do have some questions so we can cover off some questions it seemed like this was a topic that people were interested in in, in chiming in on so we'll talk about some questions so um let, let me start off with with what could be behind this, right? What, what, what generally leads people to end up executing with random acts of marketing? And I, before you answer, because I know what you're going to say, before you start with the kind of strategy before tactics mantra that we're kind of famous for, maybe you could go a little deeper than you need a strategy, right? Because yes, they need a strategy and strategy does cure this, but maybe you could riff a little bit on some deeper uh, ways to be proactive around preventing random acts of marketing. Does that make sense? Yeah, that was exactly where I was going to go, even though I do love strategy before tactics. I was going to start with more of a business owner or entrepreneurial mindset. It's very rare that a marketer starts a business that's not marketing. Typically, it happens organically. The accountant starts the accounting firm. The engineer starts the engineering firm. You have some area of focus. You have some area of passion. And you decide that it's time for a business. So understanding that entrepreneurs and business owners are plugging away at growing their business, at doing all the things necessary, all the juggling of the many parts of a business to get it off the ground and then running successfully day to day. The challenge is, is that there are very few business owners that are classically trained in marketing because it's a lot of like gut and feel. The other problem that leadership has is that the definition of marketing is so wide. It's so varied. Everybody looks at it differently. Today, I was talking to a prospective client, as we know that I uh, handle a lot of the first calls here at Square Two for people that are interested in working with us. And they had a six-person marketing department. Let me repeat that, a six-person marketing department with no results. So I simply asked, what are all those people doing? And one was working on the website and one was working on the email campaigns. And another one was specifically hired to do public relations. And then they had a social media person and two others I can't remember right now. So I said, well, how are you as the owner of the company guiding them into what they should be working on? Crickets. Well, guiding them, I hired those people. Aren't they supposed to do what they know how to do? He didn't even understand the concept of the fact that even a marketing team that's well-trained or educated needs to be coordinated and led on a strategy. And I always like to use your example of orchestration. If I go to the Philly Pops, it's not, uh, every single person who's playing an instrument in that orchestra is excellent, but they still need the conductor. They still need the arranger. They still need to practice together to figure it out. And that's where business owners, I think, make a giant misstep right out of the gate, that they don't realize that either they or someone they hire has to be the band leader. 
And when you have the band leader, then everybody's working together towards a, tom a common thing. The Philly Pops wants to make beautiful music. Entrepreneurs want to drive more revenue. And that fact that that's missing is by far the hugest hole in their programs. Does that kind of set us off, Mike? It does. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you, I love the orchestra metaphor. I think it's perfect. And you didn't even talk about the, the music, right? The, the music that they're all working from, you know, they're, they're all looking at the same arrangement, right? The same notes on the piece of paper. They are all playing their little piece of it, but they're following the, I'm not a musician, the, the sheet music, what's it called? The sheet music, whatever, yeah. whatever that paper is that has all the notes on it. They're all following their little piece of that. And together it becomes a, a beautiful, um, a beautiful symphony. And I think it's not only is it the, uh, the conductor that's missing, but I think it's the sheet music too, that people are missing um, from a marketing perspective too. You can't just have someone responsible for email marketing and have them sending emails out and someone responsible for search and having them working on getting found and another person working on the website if they're not all kind of working together with a well-orchestrated plan. Because think about it, in your uh, description, if the tuba player was doing something over here and the piccolo player was over here and the, what do you call those big ones? Those big drums, you know what I'm talking about? Timpani, timpani. Sounds good. I mean, if all <laughs> of them were doing their own thing, you wouldn't even have music. You would just have a big mishmash. And I think the mishmash is where you get random acts of marketing. Yeah, the other thing that's interesting with this particular metaphor is when you're playing music, you get immediate feedback. That sounds good. That doesn't sound good. And you make adjustments accordingly. With marketing, unfortunately, it's not so immediate, right? So the feedback loop is a lot different. And I also think that's where people get hung up also, right? Like activity sometimes seems like the end game when the results, whatever those would be, you know, what in your beauties in the eye of the beholder here, it could be visits to the website, it could be leads, it could be sales opportunities, it could be new customers, whatever you're trying to generate for the business. Sometimes that feedback is delayed, which makes the connection between the marketing activities a little trickier, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, what's interesting is you're right. If I'm sitting in the audience and everybody's riffing on their own, it sounds bad right away, right? You know what the problem is, but yet, everybody's riffing differently inside the marketing department. And then they, somebody's calling and saying, wait a minute, we're not getting results, but there's a gap between the feedback and the why. Everybody understands in the orchestra, oh, they're all playing like a different thing. It doesn't sound right. But here, nobody understands. Because let me tell you something, those six people that we were just talking about in that marketing department, they were all working very hard and diligently on their own thing. But nobody was saying, hey, get together with Mary and you two work out search and you're going to make a landing page that collects those people when they come in. Just that little bit of coordination, all of a sudden results start to go up. But nobody's doing that. Nobody's stitching it all together. And I think that's what's normally missing. Yeah, you can also, if you're listening to music, you might hear that the tuba player is off. Everyone else is on, the tuba player's off. Like, okay, we got to get a new tuba player or the tuba player needs to practice more or whatever. Like that's an easy fix to get the symphony to where it needs to be. Again, like it doesn't, the marketing issues don't present themselves so nicely as that, as that does, which makes it a little bit harder. I also think, we've talked about this a lot, the skill set to uncover what's missing is probably the most uh, difficult skill set to find, right? 
Can you find someone to run email marketing? Yeah. Can you find someone that knows paid? Yeah. Can you find someone to run social? Yeah. Can you find someone to fix your website? Yeah. But sometimes it's hard to find someone who can look at all your data and be like, oh, I see this. These things are not connected. This isn't working right. This is missing. This should be higher. Um, you need to do these three things differently. That skill set is, is difficult to find. It's true. And marketers generally are not really held accountable in a lot of cases. I mean, well, no, yes, too. No. Uh, up until that point where it becomes a uh, mission critical that if we don't get leads, we're not going to be able to hit our thing. We have to lay people off or close the business. You're right. But um, well, even yeah. then, that's usually not marketing's cross to bear. That's generally sales. That, that usually falls on sales. That's true. That's true. But uh, yeah. And once again, you have a whole sales and alignment issue, just like the orchestra has to be aligned, you know, uh, together, the sales and marketing has to be aligned. Yeah. So uh, give us a couple of examples of what orchestration might look like for a marketing team that's doing random acts of marketing. Like how can we break it down and rebuild it in a way that, that allows them to get that one plus one equals three that they're really looking for? Well, I always like think about like strategic planning software or methodologies, right? Let's talk about Rockefeller Habits, a system that we use, EOS is another, uh, Traction, right? All of those tools that businesses use to kind of like stay on track. You know, you don't start with what are we going to do tomorrow? You start with what's our big, hairy, audacious goal, right? What are we going to do out there over the next 10 years? That would be so amazing if we achieve that. And then you bring it back down and you say, well, in order to get that goal, what do we have to do over the next three to five years? And in order to get to the next three to five years, what do we have to do this year? And, and in order to get to this year's goal, what do we have to do this quarter? And then what do we have to do this month? I always think about it in those terms. When you're talking about marketing, right, there is a big, hairy, audacious goal that's attached to that, right? We are going to be the number one firm in this industry. We're going to be the largest firm. We're going to be the highest price firm, the biggest engagement, whatever your BHAG is, right? And then you can make decisions in marketing and sales that pull to that vision. So for example, if you're going after, if I have a restaurant that's open breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I serve three different kinds of ethnic food and I deliver and I take out, all of a sudden there's a million moving pieces to that. Just like if I'm a business that's trying to sell to everyone and I don't have my strategy locked down, I got all campaigns for little guys, I got campaign for big guys, I got campaign for international clients, and everything's just all working together, which means that your limited resources are being stretched thin and nothing is working right. It's the same thing when we talk about random acts of marketing. If we talk about the six-person firm that uh, this morning, the public relations person is working on their thing, right? But they're working in a siloed way. I'm going to promote this story. I decide that this story is great. I'm going to get someone to write about us in an industry publication. Well, without talking to the other people, without having a big goal, how do we know that that's the right thing to be working on? But let's say you have a CMO, chief marketing officer, or a VP of marketing, and they're like, look, we want to be known as the fastest company in the industry. So we're going to write articles about being fast. We're going to blog about being fast. We're going to have landing pages about speed. We're going to have case studies about how we were faster than everybody else and fast speed. Everything like that is going to be the, the, uh, the stitching that ties it all together. Okay, that's one way to immediately minimize the random acts of marketing by everybody at least focusing on the same topic. But that's still not enough. Because your definition of fast, my definition of speed, my the way I write about it, the way I talk about it, still can have lots of wiggle room in there. And now we're not getting the results because what my salesperson told me is different than I went on the re read on the website, even though it's about being fast or speedy or whatever it might be. 
So it has to even go down more layers to have the tightest possible strategy in the most granular forms. And then everybody is on the same page as to what they're talking about, promoting, offering, and that is sales, marketing, and customer service as well. Now, Mike, how much is the salary of a across the board good chief marketing officer for a middle market company? 175. Great. And that person, how much tactical work would they end up doing? Maybe a little bit, probably exactly. not much. Exactly. So they're supposed to be strategic. Now, if you're a $2 million firm, right, it's really hard to have $175,000 a year person doing just strategy, a little bit of tactics, just strategy, and trying to make that work. So companies that are between, let's say, two and $25 million in sales have a real problem with hiring that person who's going to stitch it all together, keep everybody aligned, come up with the, the thing that's going to be the differentiator or the subject of the public relations campaign or the marketing campaign or the social media campaign. And that's why they're sometimes deleted in the roster of employees in a typical mid-market company. So then what does the business owner do to default to that? They go to the next person in line who is a marketing manager third job out of college, really good, really hard working, but not enough experience to stitch it all together. So they try and not everybody's on the same page and maybe they're on the younger side. So they're not getting the street cred that they would if they were a VP of marketing for three software companies and this was their fourth. And now it's starting to get washed down and the owner doesn't know how to direct and the C-suite is involved in their own activities and it just results in random acts of marketing. So that's the big challenge. Now, I don't want to jump to the, to the uh, what do you call punchline, but this is where an agency becomes so powerful because for the price of one eighth of a chief marketing officer, you could actually hire someone that can help you stitch all those together and then use a combination of the agency's resources and the in-house resources to actually execute per the plan. And that's what a lot of uh, small to mid-sized companies miss is that there is an opportunity, but they sometimes don't value it as much as they should, especially if they're uh, not getting the results they're looking for. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think the answer doesn't necessarily have to be an agency, but I think the answer is definitely a framework by which the company is thinking about its go-to-market. And I think to your point, a lot of agencies bring that framework to the table and say, hey, here's how we're going to orchestrate your entire revenue effort within this framework. And it, it becomes easier for the company to then do that work where the framework is really the tool, right? Like what is the company's overarching message, right? Okay, whatever it is, it, it doesn't matter to this story. Well, we're the fastest in the industry. Right, What are? how does that then translate into some campaigns that we're gonna execute, right? So how do we tell that story to these people who, and then how do we tell that story differently to these other people over here? So now you're talking about segmenting your target market into some very, narrow lanes when you can deliver a, a highly personalized and tailored story to them around some campaigns, right? How many of those campaigns do we want to execute over the course of the year? Maybe it's one a quarter, maybe it's one a month. It depends on resources and budget and goals and objectives, but you have your over, overarching company story. You have your campaign messaging, and then you have the channels or the tools that you would use to execute the campaign. It might be social, it might be email, it might be web, it might be search, it might be paid, it might be uh, partner events, it might be um, 
influencer. I mean, there's so, and this is where I think a lot of people get caught up in the randomness of it. Today, there are so many tools at a marketer's disposal that it can become overwhelming. And I think generally what happens is they lean into the couple of tools that they're really comfortable with and the ones that they're not tend to get neglected, whether they're be beneficial or not, because there is no framework. They're kind of on their own to develop a campaign. No one knows whether the campaign is aligned or not. So it gets greenlit and then they execute it and it doesn't really produce. Um, they're not getting the benefit of one plus one equals three because all of the campaigns are kind of, you know, uh, disjointed and kind of independent of each other, right? So there's no continuation of the story from campaign to campaign. There's no overarching theme. So, you know, I think really the, 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 the way you resolve this is with some type of framework that, that focuses everybody around the company's story. And again, it doesn't necessarily have to be the same story for the entire year. It could be, look, we're going to tell this story for three months and see how it goes. And then we'll think about a different story three months after that. I'm not saying you should do that, but that's one way to go about it. Obviously, the longer you lean into this, the better you have chances of getting traction. If you do change your story frequently, it's going to, it's going to, it might be hard for you to know whether you left that story alone long enough. So I don't know that I would necessarily suggest you change your story every three months, but I do think you want to let that run out long enough to see whether it's getting traction or not. And if it is organized, and again, this is where the data comes in, you'll know pretty quickly whether your story is getting traction or not if your campaigns roll up to your big story, right? And you'll know which segments perform better. You'll know which tactics perform better. You'll get a lot of insights into overall what you're doing when it's not random. It'll be, you'll, you'll get much better insights when you have it all kind of organized and orchestrated than when you've been doing it in a random, in a random fashion. So I think that's something to think about. Again, you don't need an agency to get a framework. You can probably Google marketing program framework and at least get a couple to look at. Um, if you want someone to help you with that framework, you're probably going to need to bring in somebody from the outside to help you kind of like build yeah, it like, out. But that's the point I said about the entrepreneur and the planning and not having a, a, a passion or a feel for marketing, right? You can Google a lot of things, but I mean, am I going to just take a template and run with it? How do I know it's right? How do I know that it matches up? There, there has to be some kind of like feel for what's right or what's not. If uh, there's no pain in the marketplace around speedy delivery and you're talking about, well, we're the fastest guys in town, no traction. Correct. Right. Good point. All right. You want to do a couple of questions? Of course. I love the questions. Okay. So this is from Alan in Seattle. I know you're very big in Seattle. Huge. I don't think we're doing this at my company. But how would I know? What are some of the signals? So you, you obviously uncover this a lot with prospects. So what would Alan be looking for to know whether he's uh, uh, doing random acts of marketing or not? Like what, 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 what would uncover that? Well, in 2022, the answer is always going to be data, right? So how do I uncover it? My data is not performing. What do I mean by that? I don't have enough people to my website, but wait a minute, we are paying a firm to do SEO. We should have a lot of people at our website. Okay, that's not working. You know, people come to our website, but they don't convert. They don't like reach out to us. They don't give us their email address in exchange for a white paper. Okay, that's a metric I could look at. All right, I'm in the database and I'm nurturing those people. I'm dripping on them with six emails over two weeks and they're not opening any of my emails. Like, why is that? 
Um, uh, I have a lot of people in my database already, but none of them are turning into sales opportunities. Yeah, Where's but let that? me let me stop you for a minute because yes, you, but those that also could be an indication of just bad execution, right? It could be. That's exactly right. But at least it's a starting point for <coughs> a starting point for talking about why. So it could be random acts of marketing, right? all these destroyed activities, or it could be we're on the right strategy, but we're not executing correctly, or our people aren't up for the task of executing. It's true, but your question was, how do I know? So a starting point would be, look at your data. Now, how many times have you said to a prospective client, well, do you have Google Analytics? Do you look at it? And what do they say? Uh, I don't even know how to access it. I used to get that report. I don't know. I haven't looked at it right. anymore. So you know, to uh, Alan in Seattle, get your Google Analytics up and running and let's look at, at at least the highest level metrics and see if there is a problem to begin with. Because Mike, you could also be lucky. You could be doing random acts of marketing and you could be selling stuff, right? That's true. If you have a great product, it, you know, it might not matter. I mean, there are probably a number of um, situations that would, would um, basically you know, like cover up that you're doing random acts of marketing, right? If, you know, if you're the only one in your industry that does this, you may be doing random acts of marketing and it could be working. Well, it could even be a more aggressive, Mike. You could be doing no marketing and you're still killing it simply because you have the hottest brand in the universe. Right. I think, Alan, to, to your, answer your question, besides the data, which Eric is right, if there's no planning going on and there's an I, I don't mean like an annual marketing plan if there's not like a regular conversation around planning you're probably doing random acts of marketing right meaning you know you're not sitting down with everyone involved in marketing and saying like okay here's who we're attacking over the next quarter and here's how we're going to do it here's the story we're going to tell here's the assets we're going to leverage here's the channels we're going to use Here's the expected results we, we are looking for from this. If you're not having those conversations, I would think on a quarterly basis, you're probably doing random acts of marketing. Now, th there's, there's a spectrum. So there's probably like good random acts of marketing and not good random acts of marketing. So you could be on the good random acts of marketing side of things. But if you're not having those kind of conversations that we just modeled on a fairly regular basis, I would say you're probably doing random acts of marketing. I would agree. Okay. Um, here's a question from Jill in uh, Idaho, Boise, Idaho, actually. Also, I know you're big there too. Huge. Um, this sounds too familiar, but I know it's because our CEO is all over the place. How do I get her to let us focus on a solid plan? And we hear this all the time, right? Especially entrepreneurial CEOs, they have a little bit, and I mean this all respectfully, shiny object syndrome, like something oh, I heard this is what we should be doing. Let's quickly do that. Or I read a book and we should be doing this and let's do that. How, how, how could she get her CEO to focus so that they can do the proper planning and let the plan run out and use data to decide where the, how can she get her hands, hand, hands on this better? I mean, I literally get this question from marketers. Like, how can I convince my CEO that we need to you know, invest in X, Y, and Z? So I'll, I know I just said it, but I'll, I'll start with data, right? Hey, you know, let me, sorry, uh, CEO person, let me have 15 minutes of your time. I want to show you something. Here's the industry benchmark, and here we are down here. This is what the data shows us, right? 
I think if we just did these three things, I'd be able to get that number up and here the results would be. Remember in the last question, I was waiting for you to say expected results because we were just brainstorming this morning, weren't we? I said, if we do this tactic, I guess it'll be about six to eight engagements in 2022, right? Because immediately I'm like, why would you even do any effort unless it's gonna result in something? So if you go to the CEO and they're reasonable, they're going to say, oh, one, the data shows that we're not performing at a high level. Two, my marketing person came with a solution. I want to do these three things in order to improve that number. And four, here's my expectations that we could judge every month or quarter, however they're tracking it, against. Any CEO that wouldn't accept that rational conversation, budget aside, shouldn't be a CEO because if you're the conductor, I have to understand that my piccolo player uh, is tired because they did two concerts and my tuba player had to carry the big tuba in so his arm is sore and the piano player is upset because it wasn't tuned correctly. It's my job to coordinate all these people and lead them into making beautiful music. So if my marketing person comes to me with a very lucid uh, uh, um, conversation about what they could do to improve their area of the business, I must listen. If my operations guy says, if we get this automation on this um, one machine, it'll increase our efficiency and we could lay off one of our line workers, they came with a solution and an expected outcome. So I think that the CEO has to listen. If they don't, then my advice to the marketing person is get a new job because you're never going to be able to move the needle unless you change what you're doing today. The random acts of marketing is in the way of getting the good results. Yeah, I'm going to, you're right, but I'm going to challenge you because that's not really going to keep the CEO from changing her mind in 30 days, right? That's a very good conversation. And yeah, that makes sense. Let's do it. I see the data, but their behavior is all over the place. So in 30 days, it's going to be something else. Well, what do you do about that? Well, you know, I could talk about service level agreements, marketing promises to get these results if leadership promises to let us uh, do our thing for at least 90 days to prove out the uh, pilot program. Yeah, or maybe even a more structured planning process that involves the CEO. Well, do you think that a CEO that's all over the place every 30 days changing their mind is going to be involved in uh, strategic planning? Well, no, but it would give them a venue to basically share their desire to hop around a lot. And if you got agreement on, hey, we're going to run this plan for a quarter, right? Mm -hmm. It might tamp it down a little bit. You know, you may, they may come to you in 30 days and be like, hey, I want to change this. You're like, look, well, we just agreed to this a month ago. Can we at least run it out for another month? Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, let's talk about it in another 30 days. It might, the structure might tamp that down a little bit. Maybe. I mean, I remember one of my first jobs, I worked for my father-in-law and I did a program and it was a 30-day ad. And on the first day, nobody called. And he said, I knew this was going to be a failure. And I said, it's 30 days. It ended up being a smashing success, but he wasn't willing to wait one day out of 30 before he started to make a change. Or but you, but, you're, the, but the, the structure got him to wait. You were able to show him that it worked. He wanted to, he, he was impatient and wanted to change it after a day, but you said, give, give me the, give me the time that I asked for and you let it run out and it was successful. Also, he was my father-in-law, so I had a little sway there, but you're right. It, it, you know, you got to let things play out. Look, even the smartest CEO or VP of marketing could set a very lucid strategy and it ends up not working that well. So, you know, you have to let it play out to get the data good or bad. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, 
even some of the paid campaigns we run now after like a couple of days, the clients want to know how's it, how's it working. And, you know, the way the tools work today, you got to let it run for a month because those tools are basically self-optimizing and without the ability to let those algorithms that those companies are spending millions of dollars building, you're not really getting the benefit of those tools. So, you know, maybe this is a, and this is actually an upcoming show to some extent, you got to really train your CEOs to be patient around some of these things. You know, it's, the, the, the behavior we're describing for these CEOs that we're talking about theoretically contributes to random acts of marketing. I actually think it drives a lot of it because a patient CEO is willing to invest in a CMO or VP of marketing to set the strategy and let it really play out is rare. Yeah, agreed. Savvy ones will understand that marketing has to be just as strong a pillar of our organization than finance and operations and human resources, right? But, you know, marketing doesn't get its fair share of the dog bowl sometimes because it does take a while to prove out a strategy and let it actually drive results. Good. Um, okay, I got another question here from uh, Harvey in New York. Um, I get it. You talked about it in a previous episode about not doing a 12-month marketing plan. If that's the case, how do you guys prevent random acts of marketing? And we've been kind of talking about this a little bit, but if you want some, Harvey, if you want some additional details around this, then I think you really want to look at more of an agile approach to this. And there are some very specific methodologies and rituals that go along with Agile that might drag the entire organization along with you and prevent random acts of marketing. For instance, and this is what I was getting at with, with the CEO here. If you're doing a 90-day strategy session with the CEO and planning out the next three months and talking about who you want to go after and what kind of results you want to generate, and then... Uh, making sure that that's aligned to what's going on in the rest of the business. So you might have new products that you're rolling out or new services that you want to promote, or there could be things going on in the industry that you want to take advantage of. If you're having that conversation at, a, at, at the highest levels of the company every three months, and then you're letting that trickle down into three 30-day plans underneath that 90-day strategy session. And after each 30 days, you're looking at the performance of the tactics and making adjustments that should be a framework that the entire company can get behind, including your CEO, right? And including the rest of the organization, sales, customer service, even the marketing people or the agency you're working with should be aligned around that kind of rhythm. So you're not doing a 12-month marketing plan. You're doing four 30-day plans and four 90-day plans and 12 30-day plans to really decide what should we be working on and what are we expecting to get out of each of these three sprints in a quarter? You're then sharing that with everybody too. Here's what we did. Here's what we got out of it. The plan's on track. We're going to continue it or the plan's not on track or we're going to make these adjustments. It's a very proactive approach to, to, to kind of managing up as opposed to letting them manage you and complain or suggest you make changes. You're kind of beating them to the punch every 30 days by showing them what's working and what's not working. Look, no one has marketing that all works perfectly all the time. Even when we run programs for clients, there are things that we thought were going to work that we end up, that end up not working. The key is identifying them quickly and then either making an adjustment 
or just put, you know, turning it off. There's, there are lots of things sometimes that we say, hey, this just isn't working for us. Let's not do it anymore. Let's rotate that money into something else that is working. Maybe we'll come back at it next quarter. Maybe we'll look at it with a slightly different lens, but, you know, you can get out ahead of that. And that, those rhythms alone will prevent random acts of marketing. And I think generally, if you have a, uh, relatively savvy leadership team, they should really be on board with that completely. And I think Eric mentioned this briefly a couple minutes ago. If you can't get them on board with something like that, you're not, it's not going to matter what you do. You're always going to be kind of getting directed to hop around and try different things. And you'll never really be able to settle in and really see whether your plan or your, your, your tactical execution is going to work. And if you are trying to get sales and client services aligned around these campaigns too, which you should be, it's going to be impossible, right? You're going to need sales to tell your story. You know, if you're having events or you're promoting certain content or you're pushing a certain message, you need sales to tell that story too. You need customer service to tell that story also. If you're running customer marketing campaigns, which you should be, you need customer service to support that. So if you can't get them involved in this rhythm, uh, you're, you're probably not going to be successful. Let's just put it out there. Agreed. And, Anything you want to add to that? No. Well said. Okay. Awesome. You know, let's just make sure it's clear. It's it's hard to perform at a high level. You got to get everybody in the company on the same page. You got to pick the right tactics. You got to pick the right strategy. And you got to be uh, execute with pig-headed determination. So we're not trying to say that it's easy, but it's a lot easier if you have a framework like you just described. Yeah, it's going to be hard, right? I don't. I'm not sure there are many more challenging tasks in a company today beyond this revenue question, right? It, it is, and it's getting harder and harder, right? You know, people are doing everything they possibly can to push you off, right? The, the emails are getting blocked, the ads are getting blocked, the calls are getting blocked. You know, now that people are out of the office, it's harder than ever to get in touch with people. Um, it's just getting more and more difficult to execute any kind of successful marketing campaigns. Even the, the tools that we are use are getting smarter around preventing people from getting in touch with us. Like I, I was getting a bunch of unsolicited text messages and someone said to me, oh, you know, there's a setting in your phone that will stop all unasked un for text messages. I was like, oh, really? They're like, yeah, go to settings, go to this, go to that. And Turn, turn the toggle on, right? And I did it. And it actually, it took a few days to like clean them all out, but I don't get those texts anymore. So um, it's it, it, it's hard. It, it really is. So you got to apply all the right levers. You got to have a framework. You got to have a rhythm. You got to have the expertise. You got to have the patience. You got to have buy-in from leadership. You got to be aligned across all three areas where revenue gets generated. You've got to execute the campaigns flawlessly. They have to be omni-channel. You need, like, I could go on. I mean, we could do a whole show on all of the things that need to fire simultaneously for you to drive revenue in a, in a really productive month-over-month -month growth way. And that's why we started the podcast. 10% of the people say they hit their goals quarter over quarter, month over month. That means nine out of 10 companies are struggling to do this. And that's on a good day, right? That's assuming everyone's being honest. It's probably worse. And look at your own experiences. Like, are you blowing through your revenue goals every month? No, you're probably not. Or you wouldn't be listening to the show. You wouldn't be Googling these kinds of things. You wouldn't be looking for help 
um, online and off, you, you would just be, you know, vacationing in Florida because your company's killing it. Just there's just not too many companies who are doing it um, successfully month over month. So with that, let's do a little uh, pre-Thanksgiving, Eric. So you're a very, uh, retrospe- uh, very introspective person. So share with the listeners, uh, share with our audience what you're thankful for on Thanksgiving in 2021. Well, Thanksgiving 2021 brings a little bit of relief from COVID and COVID was so hard for so many businesses and their employees to get through families. I mean, you know, I I live in in Center City, Philadelphia, and it finally over the last two months feels a bit normal. And I'm thankful for that because I saw a lot of people suffering in a variety of ways, whether it was financial or mental. I mean, there was just so many challenges over the last two years. I'm really thankful that we're not done, but at least it's manageable now in some areas. And, and I'm really thankful for that. Um, we talk also, I mean, Square Two has a unique culture. I, I think it's unique of, of some really nice people. And I think that a lot of folks that own businesses or run businesses don't count culture as such a powerful tool, but we really got through COVID together as a group. We changed what we were doing. We pivoted here. We accelerated and decelerated in certain places. And did it as a team. Also, the great resignation barely touches. Our team stayed together through that whole time when other entrepreneurs that I know very well were, you know, they had people jumping out of the windows. And I was really thankful for that. And then um, I guess the third thing that I'm really thankful for is my lovely wife. Uh, you know, I lost some weight during COVID. She retired during COVID and changed up. And, you know, we were there to support each other. And I, I can't tell you how much that means to me to have a best friend and a significant other that really stands behind you. So a lot of good things came from COVID, but a lot of bad things. And I don't know, just like uh, one day at a time, I guess. I'm just thankful for that. That's nice. I'm sure she'll appreciate that when she listens. Oh, to she's she's not a listener. She doesn't do the marketing thing. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Yeah, I mean, I'm super thankful for our company. I mean, we've been in business for 18 years and, you know, most businesses don't even make it a year. So we must be doing something right. I know for a fact we're doing really good work and, you know, carrying the flag religiously as we have been for this entire time, trying to help people understand what they're doing wrong and show them the light and teach them a whole new set of skills around how to do this differently. And again, I don't think, you know, if we were, you know, in it for the money and not in it to help people, I don't think we would have been around this long with so many, you know, I was actually working on one of our campaigns and I did a list of companies that we helped exit. And there were like 12 to 14 companies on that list. So, um, Clearly, we help them position their companies, we help them improve their brand, we help them improve their revenue and their top line, and that made them attractive to uh, potential acquirers. So I feel like we've proven our ability to help our, our, our clients and, and position our company effectively. So I'm super, super thankful for what we've been able to accomplish. We've really had some amazing clients too, especially over the last couple of years, uh, clients that maybe are the best set of clients we've had in a long time. They really appreciate our team. They appreciate the work we're doing for them. They're, they, they view us as partners and not vendors. Um, and that's not easy in this industry. There are plenty of people who view marketing agencies as vendors. Get me this, get me that, get it to me tomorrow. Not really appreciating what goes into it or how we go about um, practicing our craft 
And I think this year specifically, we have a portfolio of clients that really appreciate our approach, our expertise, and, and our ability to contribute to their businesses. So I'm very thankful for the clients, of course. You know, the industry is very challenging. It keeps us on our toes. Um, I talk to our team a lot about tradecraft, which is how I refer to being good at what we do. There are a ton of new techniques and new technologies and new approaches to generating revenue and engaging with people. And it is, it is changing faster than it's ever changed before. What you did last year is probably not what you're going to need to do this year or next year. So uh, I'm, I'm appreciative that our agencies uh, and our industry is keeping us all uh, fresh and, and forcing us to learn new tricks on, on a regular basis. And look, I would be remiss if I wasn't thankful for you, Eric. You've been a great partner. You hear so many horror stories about people who can't work together, can't you know, maintain a friendship. You know, I don't think we knew enough to really know this was going to work out when we went into business together. And for whatever reason, it's worked out really well for me. And I'm super thankful for everything we've been able to accomplish together. We've never really get it in the way of our personal friendship. And again, I think that's pretty unique and rare in, in business. You hear many, many, many worse stories about breakups and suing and all kinds of things like that, that we have not had to deal with. And I'm 100% sure we'll never have to deal with that in the future. So Agreed. You too, um, I certainly appreciate you and everything you bring to the company. And um, I want to wish you and your family a happy Thanksgiving and a happy Thanksgiving to everybody who listens to the show. I really appreciate the, the audience. You guys have been great. Um, you know, our viewership on YouTube has improved and the questions we get submitted through our website is it certainly keeps the show fresh. And uh, I think in 2022, we'll, we'll have some interesting adjustments to the show. Uh, I'd like to have some guests on with Eric and me so we can talk a little bit about some of the practical things that people are doing to drive revenue. So if you're interested in being a guest and you want to reach out to me, send me an email, mike at square2marketing.com and we can talk about it. Um, and uh, anything else you want to add, Eric, before I wrap up? No, no. Uh, everybody should just be safe and healthy. That's all we care about. Agreed. Agreed. So uh, again, thanks for listening. You can catch the show on YouTube. Uh, you'll get your email tomorrow with the show recording like you do every Thursday. I know it's Thanksgiving, but maybe you could listen to it uh, while the bird's in the oven and uh, check us out on our website. Check us out on a podcast platform near you or on all the your favorite podcast platforms. And do us a favor. If you like the show, give us a review, like us on YouTube, subscribe to the show on YouTube, share it with your friends and family and colleagues. Uh, that helps us be sure we're on the right track in terms of the content we're providing you. And if you do have an idea for an upcoming show, again, feel free to email me directly. Happy to take direct feedback, Mike at square2marketing.com. Thanks everybody for listening. Have a really great Thanksgiving and we'll talk to you in December. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you.